continuing our message series, and it's a series on conflict, because that happens sometimes. It's, it's part of life, you know? And today we are going to look at like an epic heavyweight battle of biblical proportions, okay? We're talking about like two of the, the biggest leaders in the early church. They're going to tangle. They're going to butt heads here. And so you know if they're doing that, it's over a substantial issue, right? Because we're not supposed to just be, you know, fighting about dumb stuff. Uh, and sometimes this is a struggle for us. Uh, because sometimes we struggle to decide what conflicts are really worthy of entering into and which ones are not. Maybe if you look back at this past week, you might see some in your life and say, eh, probably didn't need to get into that one, right? It just wasn't as big of a deal as I made it out to be. We are called to pick your battles, right? You're called to pick your battles. You don't have to show up at every argument to which you're invited, you know? Just because somebody picks a fight, believe it or not, this is possible. Just because somebody picks a fight does not mean you have to engage in it, right? Especially people online, right? You can just move on, you know? You don't have to get into every little tangle that somebody invites you to. Man, that's easy to say and pretty hard to do, isn't it? It's, it's a challenging thing. But you've got to be able to pick your battles. Nobody knows this better than cat lovers, by the way, right? Or cat owners. You've got to pick your battles. You know, don't go there, dog. Just don't go there. Sleep on the small bed. It's not worth it, right? It's not worth the fight you're going to get yourself into. I mean, it's, it's only, it's biblical, right? Proverbs 26 says, don't respond to the stupidity of a fool. You'll only look foolish yourself. You enter a battle with a fool, you're going to find two fools in that battle pretty soon, is basically what Solomon is saying. You know who else knows this? Parents of toddlers, right? You definitely have, fine, wear the purple goggles and the yellow pants I can't even, I just, just wear them, I don't care, right? There's times you just have to let it go. It's just not worth the fight over every little thing, right? And this is, this is life. It's not just with pets and with toddlers, it's life. We got to pick our battles. You don't have to enter every argument to which you are challenged or invited. Now, we know this to be true, but think about maybe one of your recent conflicts. How'd you do with that? If you could go back in time, would you get into that same conflict? If so, it was probably worth it. Would you have handled yourself in the way that you did handle yourself? Because conflict can and should be done well. Hear me, I'm not anti-conflict. We need to have it sometimes, but we need to do it right. We need to do it well. Now, Peter and Paul are going to tangle here, but, but before we get into that, I want to give just, just a little brief nerd moment here, a couple words of explanation, because there's a word in this passage, or a name in this passage, uh, which is Cephas, and that name might be confusing to you. Uh, it's, it's really another name for Peter, okay? Remember the disciple Peter? That, uh, Jesus had called him that because Peter was the rock on whom Jesus would, be, would build the church, the name Peter literally means rock, and so Jesus renamed him that. His original name was not actually Peter. His original name instead was Simon, which means angry guy with a funny accent, right? <laughs> so it was a much more complimentary name that Jesus gave Peter. He, he calls him the rock. 
Uh, but that's in Greek, which the Bible's written. However, they would speak in Aramaic, and they'd use the name Cephas. Okay, So when you see Cephas, same as Rock, same as Peter, same guy. It's not an insult. It's not a weird name. It just is what it is. Verse 11 of Galatians 2. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, in the Bible, them's fighting words, right? This is serious. First of all, I opposed him to his face. Now, we need to know that doesn't necessarily mean that Paul was being rude. In the, the original language, it's really a reference to being direct. He had a problem with Peter, and he went directly to him. He didn't go gossip to everybody else first, and then they heard it second or third hand. No, he went to Peter, and he, and he spoke it right to his face. He said, here's what my problem is, right? But then these words, he stood, past tense, stood condemned. This doesn't mean that Paul himself was condemning Peter. No, it was harder than that. It means that Peter had already been condemned. It's implied this is done by God. That Peter's actions were just wrong. And so he already stood condemned because he wasn't living the way that God called him to live. And just like we just sang, it's in, we find freedom in living in the will of God. And Peter's actions were, were stepping outside of the will of God here. So we might say, well, okay, what on earth did Peter do that was this bad? Well, here we go, verse 12. For before certain men had came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Circumcision group. Do you think they had jerseys, by the way? I just wonder. They, I don't know. Sorry, you'll get used to my immaturity, I promise. 13, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that there, by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He calls out some hypocrisy that he sees in Peter's life. That it's interesting, and at first glance we might say, What's the big deal? I mean, this sounds more like a, a junior high lunch table disagreement, right? Than a, than a big, like, biblical leader kind of argument. But it's bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. For Paul, this is a hill he was willing to die on. Because, you see, what was happening is that there was, the, Peter and Paul, they had different callings, Okay. Uh, Paul was called to serve the churches around the Roman Empire. And when Paul would go into a church, or sorry, into a city, Paul would first go to this Jewish synagogue or church, and he'd proclaim the good news of Jesus. Sometimes he'd be well-received, sometimes he would not be well-received, but then he would go on to the Gentiles. And so as a result, Paul reached a whole lot of people who were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And he reached them, and so a lot of these churches are filled with a mixed audience or a predominantly Gentile audience. Okay, Peter, on the other hand, was called to Jerusalem to be the leader of the church there. And in Jerusalem, it was a predominantly Jewish church. So Paul and Peter, 
they have different callings. Well, the Gentile Christians, the existence of Gentile Christians made for some theological challenges. Because, see, prior to this, it was Jews becoming Christians, and they would continue to follow the Jewish law. Well, when you have these Gentiles becoming Christians, they're not so sure about all these Jewish laws. And we kind of break the Jewish law into two sections. The, the moral law, like the Ten Commandments, for example. The moral law are those things that are always applicable to everybody everywhere, right? Thou shalt not lie. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew, a Gentile, a long time ago, today, whatever. This is morally appropriate all the time. But there was also this section that was kind of the ceremonial laws. These are like the, the dietary laws, for example. They weren't allowed to eat pork. They weren't allowed to mix meat and milk, which literally means they can't eat cheeseburgers. That's a bummer, right? But uh, these were things. Or they had laws about you can't have tattoos, or you got to cut your hair or your beard, whatever, a certain way, okay? They had all these kind of laws. And when Gentiles became followers of Jesus, they're like, whoa, time out. Why, why do those things matter? Why do I need to do that? And the Jewish people are like, well, because this is the law. This is what you do. And the Gentiles are like, no, that's not what we do. We don't do those kind of things. So there was debate around this. And in fact, Peter himself had been on the, had seen this vision that where God laid before him this like sheet of like these unclean animals, right? And God's like, kill and eat, whatever you want. Peter's like, I'm not falling for that, right? These are not clean animals. And God says, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And it was used by God to show them that, that the gospel was for the Gentiles too. And they didn't have to follow all the ceremonial laws that the Jews did. So they even had this big meeting in Jerusalem and they all came to agreement. The Gentiles do not have to follow the ceremonial parts of the Jewish law. They can become Christians and not have to do that. But Peter, Peter he's been here at Antioch with Paul and the Gentile church and things have been great. They've been eating meals together, everybody's cool, no problem, right? But then these Jews come into town. Maybe they were from Peter's church, I'm not sure. But they come into town, and they're like, Peter, what's up with these Gentiles? You're eating with them. They don't eat the right stuff, you know? And Peter's like kind of backing off from that, right? And he wants to be cool with the Jewish people. So he's like, now he's kind of, you know, not really paying much attention to the Gentile believers. And he's acting again like he used to act, right? And, and, and so this is a big deal to these Gentile believers because Peter's a leader. Are we, did the rules change? Are we not accepted anymore? Why is Peter like, you know, why is Peter just kind of, when I walk by, he just doesn't even look at me anymore. What's the big deal here? Paul sees it. He knows it's wrong, so he calls it out. He says to Peter, Peter, what are you doing here, right? Like, this is not the agreement. Paul, he boldly proclaims the truth that, you know, I think we can appreciate this, right? Imagine if I told you that to be a follower of Jesus you had to follow these laws. That, by the way, means no bacon, okay? What if I said that? To be a follower of Jesus, no bacon. Some of you are having a crisis of faith right now. I know it, right? 
And, and Paul comes and he boldly proclaims the truth that you can have Jesus in your heart and bacon on your breath. It's all good. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? It's a good day, right? We should have an altar call right now, I feel like. Paul helps Peter to see this differently, but he has to confront him in order to do that. Now, why did Peter do this? Truth is, we don't really know. Maybe some of these Jews who came were, were significant leaders in his church, or maybe they weren't Christians, and Peter was afraid that if they saw these Gentiles and, you know, not following the law, that they might persecute Peter's church. He may have go, had good reasons. Regardless to Paul, it did not matter. Why? Because Paul said, this is a hill that I'm going to die on. This is a fight it's worth having. Because this isn't just about food and little things like that. This is about the gospel, right? Jesus called us to go into all the world to preach the gospel to all people. That's what my ministry is all about. That's what this church is all about. And so we can't compromise that. Peter, you start backing off on this kind of stuff. You're endangering the faith of all these Gentiles. You're endangering the mission that Jesus called us to. This isn't just about what you eat for dinner. This is about welcoming people into the kingdom of God. And we don't compromise that. We don't compromise that ever. Paul didn't, and we don't. This is what we're all about. This is central. So this isn't some little junior high lunch table spat. This is something with big kingdom implications. And that is why Paul does not shy away. Now, there's a lot we can learn from this story, but I wanted to look at just a few lessons we can learn from Peter. And these are going to be on the negative side because Peter, unlike Paul, Peter did not handle the situation well. Peter had something that he needed to confront too. When the Jewish leaders came into town, and started, you know, kind of giving the, the side eye to the, Jew, to the Gentile believers, Peter needed to step up and say, hey, it's all right. They're followers of Jesus. They don't have to follow the same laws that, that you do. It's cool if you do that, but that's not for them, right? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Peter should have done that, but he didn't. He didn't confront. It was a hill he should have been willing to die on, but instead he cowered away. So a few lessons we can learn from Peter at how to fail at confrontation. Okay, so don't do these, by the way. First way to fail at confrontation is to compromise when you should confront. To compromise. Peter, he compromised. Instead of having the courage to step up and say, nope, these are real followers of Jesus, even if they don't eat the same foods you do, Peter compromised backed off. He started kind of, you know, giving the cold shoulder to the Gentile believers. That's not what he was called to do. That wasn't faithful. Peter's like, look, this is, this is not a hill I'm dying on. But it should have been. It should have been. It was a central thing for them. And as a result, he acted like a hypocrite. He acted like a hypocrite, and he endangered the faith of all these Gentile followers. Now, for you and me, it's easy to kind of be distant from this story, right? Because we don't really connect with the food law business. It's not really our thing. It's easy to be like, yeah, Peter, shouldn't have done that. But you know what? We compromise too sometimes. And my friends, big crashes, they start with small compromises. Nobody, seeks, nobody sets out to just wreck their life, you know? 
I mean, nobody wakes up one day in a, you know, a good and healthy marriage and says, you know what, today, it's a fair day. I'm doing this, right? I'm going to go have an affair. No, you don't do that. It starts with small compromises. What's the big deal if I flirt with that person at the office? You know, it's, it's not really, it doesn't really matter. It's a small thing. Lots of people do that. Or maybe for you, it's substances, right? And it starts off small. That, you know, used to do a little, but the little didn't do, so the little got more and more, right? You know, we kind of keep on growing, and all of a sudden, we've got an addiction. We never thought we would have big crashes. They start with small compromises. Or we know that we're called to be generous, but dang it, the Joneses keep getting a nicer car. And if I'm going to keep up with them, I'm not going to be able to afford to, to give like God calls me to give because i gotta, I got to keep up. Big crashes, they start with small compromises. Others of us were watching our loved ones who are flirting with disaster in their life. And we know that we're called to lovingly say something, but we get scared and we don't do it. We don't do it. Who knows? God might use your words to change somebody's life. What if you had the courage to not compromise, but instead, instead to speak the truth in love? Now again, these are about hills that we die on. We're not talking about issues of personal preference here. We're not talking about little stuff. We're talking about the big stuff. But we need to, if, we're, if we have one of those issues, we must not compromise when we're called to confront. Second thing, second thing we should not do is to make decisions out of fear. Peter made his decision out of fear, fear of the Jews. What will they think of me? What will they do to me? What would they do to my church? What will the fallout be? He got scared. And oftentimes, we don't confront things that we need to confront because we get scared. And we say things like, oh, well, I just, uh, I, don't, I don't like conflict. Well, guess what? Most people don't like conflict. That's a normal, that means you're a normal human being, okay? Congratulations. But that doesn't mean that we get a free pass when we have something that is essential like this that needs to be addressed. Hear me, friends, when you make decisions out of fear, you will never, and I repeat, never arrive at the will of God. You might say, well, how can you say that? How can you know that? Real simple, it's biblical. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but instead he's given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Fear, that's not God's tool. That's the tool that Satan loves to use to, to hold you back, to stop you from addressing the things that you may need to address in your life. That's what fear does. And the Bible's real clear, that's not of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about the fear that keeps you from playing in traffic. That's a good thing, right? You know, that's, that's survival skills here, right? We're talking about the kind of fear that holds you back from doing the things that God's calling you to do. And that is not of the Lord. In, so what if instead of avoiding conflict out of fear, instead we ran to the problems, we addressed the problems, just as it says, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in a spirit of love, and with self-discipline? Think of the last conflict that went badly in your life. What if you would have addressed it that way instead? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of God, 
and by the self-discipline that he calls us to have. I think we get in a lot less silly escalations that are unnecessary and damaging. I also think we would run away less often from conflicts that we actually need to have. We're not called to make decisions out of fear. Sometimes we avoid conflict, even with things in our own life, things we need to address in our own life, because we're scared. Look, Satan is a liar, and he loves to tell you that, he loves to tell you things that aren't true. Like, for example, maybe God's calling you, let's take an easy one, maybe God's uh, calling you to, uh, maybe it's exercise or eat more healthy. Not that those are easy to do, but it's easy to understand. And, and maybe you've been feeling this call, but you're scared, and Satan's like, don't even try. You'll fail. You failed 18 times before. Just, just, just go the other way, right? Nope. God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So Satan, no. I'm not listening. I'm not doing that. If God calls me to step forward, I'm going to do it in courage. Here's a third way to fail. Third, choose comfort when you should confront. Now, we all like comfort, and confrontation <laughs> is not comfortable. And I'm not saying that, that all forms of comfort are wrong. You don't have to, like, sleep on rocks and eat grass, right? That's not what we're talking about. But we need to, sometimes we avoid conflict or healthy confrontation because it's just uncomfortable, and we don't want to fool with it. So we put up with wrong things that we shouldn't be putting up with, whether in our lives or the lives of others, because we just simply are comfortable. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll deal with it later. Some of you got an employee conversation you need to have at work, and you've been putting it off week after week after week, and you know it needs to happen. But it's uncomfortable. So let's not do it. Look, Jesus does not call you to be comfortable. He calls you to be holy. That's his call. Sometimes it's going to push you outside of your comfort zone. It might send you on a mission trip to Appalachia like our team just got back from. It might send you into a confrontational conversation that you need to do with love, but you need to do it. Jesus doesn't call you to be comfortable. He calls you to be holy. Let's stand up and listen to his voice. Finally, number four reason why we'd fail at confrontation is when we listen to the wrong people. This is an easy one to fall into. Look, we got all sorts of voices coming at us, you know? We got more information coming at us than any generation times a lot, right? And it's easy to fill our hearts and our minds with all the wrong voices, to... to uh, to listen to those who are not speaking the Lord's truth to us, but other things. Some of us, some of us will gladly run into big confrontations that our favorite political pundit calls us to, but we'll run away from the ones that Jesus calls us to. That's messed up. And listen, I'm, I like the news too, right? It's not, not evil to watch this or whatever, but Look at your life the past week. How much time have you spent watching that stuff versus spending in the Word of God? If that's radically out of balance in your life, then you can expect that you're going to be picking some of the wrong battles. 
And you're going to be wasting your time and your voice and your energy on stuff that's different than what Jesus is calling you to. And hear me, I'm not speaking against it. There's a, there's a role for activism and it needs to happen. But some of us, we, we make that our Lord, that our hill we're going to die on, and we ignore what Jesus is calling us to. That's not, that's not what we're about, Christians. You know, you and I, we get one life to live. Just one. I'm 41. I tend to think I got a lot of years left. I could get hit by the bus today just like anybody else, though. I don't want to mess around. I, I don't want to waste this life that I have. I don't want to waste this, the, the voice that God's given me or you. That I don't want to waste these things. And so there's some hills that I'm willing to die on. There's some things that are so central to me that, that these are more important to me than, than anything else in the world. And, and I'll compromise about a lot of things, but there's some, mm -mm, these are the hills. These are central things. You gotta have them. You gotta have them. A life worth living is a life that has some convictions, things that we know to be true. Our love for our God, our love for our family, our love for our friends, these kind of things, these are central things in our lives. And I was trying to think about how I could best just communicate in a short way a few of these. And where I got to is something that is really an, an older statement. It's about 1,500 years old. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And I love this statement of truth. Creeds are statements of truth that the church has proclaimed for generations. And and these are things that are central. There's a lot of things that good Christians can debate about and all this kind of stuff. And as your pastor, I'll probably, let me say it different, I will make decisions that you won't love sometimes. And I will be wrong at times. I promise. It'll happen. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I'll be wrong at times. I'm not crying over that. I'm crying because uh, I just choked on my cough drop. <laughs> I'll be wrong at times. I'll seek your forgiveness. And we can disagree on some certain things. But you know, friends, there are things that are central to who we are. And I want for us today to recite just a few of them together. So while these are words that are, they're older, older English, I know they're not really contemporary language, the truth is right there, and it's solid. And so I'm going to invite you to say them with me, if this is where you're at for your beliefs, and don't let them just be words. Let them be heartfelt for you. Let it be meaningful, heartfelt stuff for you. So I want to invite you to stand. This is how important I think these things are. And we're going to say this together, this, this creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. God, I believe them. We believe them. We thank you for these truths that you call us to. They've been true here at Anderson Hills for over 200 years. And they're going to be true until you come back, Jesus. May we never compromise these essentials of the gospel. Help us to avoid the stupid little conflicts that we don't need to get into. Help us to know what are the central things, the hills that we're called to die on, the mission that you give us as a church to make new disciples of you, Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray, I pray that you would use us to stand firm on the things we need to stand firm on and to be loving and gracious and generous with everything else. God, we give ourselves to you. We love you so much, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name.